At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 727th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your local food revolution. This week's bonus episode is one that I record with Rosie on the House, a local Phoenix radio show, and we're talking about how to build a food forest in your front and backyard. Enjoy. Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the House, your weekend wake-up tradition. Farm living is the life for me. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, and already the fourth Saturday of February. If you're following along in your homeowner handbook, free publication that we put out every year. It's got a calendar of topics and maintenance. You can see here scheduled for February, we're talking about build an edible landscape with Farmer Greg, who's joining us on the line. Welcome back to the broadcast. And it's been a interesting year so far. It's been a wet it's been and a windy and windy. We got hammered this week at our place yeah. with the wind. So. Well, and you know, it's very interesting about the wind. I lived in Phoenix for 54 years. I gardened in Phoenix for about 46 or 47 of those. I started when I was like 12 or 13 gardening. And one of the things that I've noticed over the past three or four years is that our windy March, because it used to just be March that got really windy has turned into February, March, April, May, June, and July, really <laughs> windy. the past couple of years. And it's a bit of an eye-opener because we have to pay attention to that for our gardens and our fruit trees because that, especially the hot, dry winds, we've had people losing fruit trees because of hot, dry winds. Just so sucking the water out of the leaves, out of the ground, out of everything. So how to build an edible landscape. And I'm really excited for today's broadcast when I got your talking points. I won't jump ahead, but you've got an, another seven-step process here that I don't think we've talked about before. We so, haven't. I, when I was putting this together yesterday, it's like, oh, we need to talk about this. I was reading through and I'm like, this, I really like this. Right? <laughs> Let's start by defining what permaculture is. And for me, permaculture is the art and science of working with nature. I've been studying it for over 30 years. In fact, when I took my first permaculture design course, that's a 72-hour course. I took it in 1991. And for me, it was an epiphany. It's like, wow, there's something to call the way that I think. So that was really <laughs> cool because what we do in permaculture is we look at natural systems how does nature work? And then we want to work in the flow of nature. 
it really works best if we figure out what that flow is and then go with the flow. That's a that's a seventies hippie term, isn't it? Going with the flow. <laughs> Speaking of going with the flow, one of the things that the city of Seattle is fighting with so hard right now is they get these massive floods and what they have figured out, it's because they straightened all their rivers in yep. order to build commercial buildings and subdivisions and, you know, just, just to develop. And that yeah. a straight canal cannot keep up with the watershed that the river would naturally just disperse because it's winding and it's turning and it's slowing it. And the amount of interaction that happens down at the soil that doesn't happen with the concrete doesn't allow anything for it to live. And there was all kinds of these terms. I'll have to find it again. But speaking of going with the flow, they're looking at how to re-engineer back to more of a natural stream carving exactly. through all, all this development that they had originally tore out to put in. <laughs> right. Well, and it, it, Brad Lancaster, we've had him on the show before. He's the water harvesting guru who wrote the books, Water ha Harvesting for Drylands and Beyond. He says that you slow it, sink it, and spread it. That's how we want to get the water in. And he also, I was doing a class with him, gosh, maybe 15 years ago. And he said, if you think about it, in our cities, the rivers are our streets. So we've made these paved streets that collect water and push water into a bigger street and a bigger street. And of course they flood. In permaculture, what we do is we think about how to get that water in our landscape and slow it down. And one of the big things that I do with people in their yards is if you have a dirt backyard, add six to 12 inches of woody mulch in your backyard. That does multiple things for you. And we're, this is hardcore permaculture right now that we're talking about. When you add six to 12 inches of woody mulch in your backyard, it's acting as a sponge. It's holding water at the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch. It's making really healthy soil. And over time, it builds the soil in your backyard like a forest. We're going to talk about that next. Like a forest builds soil so that things grow a lot better. And I've heard reports back from people when they do this that the dust level in their house dramatically drops. And that's just going with the flow of nature. Just add woody mulch, not gravel, man. Don't put gravel in your backyard. Add woody mulch in your backyard and build your soil. <laughs> and you've talked about woody mulch in a lot of different applications, yes. tree basins and everything. So this one is like the whole, the whole yard. Yep. Fill it up. The whole yard. Yep. Exactly. So what is a food forest? is our next question. And that's really a space in your yard or your yard for me at the urban farm for 32 years, I planted things such that it grew like a forest. Nobody goes out into a forest and manages a forest. Things just grow. Well, I did a little bit of maintenance at the urban farm when I was there. But what I did is I planted seeds that were open pollinated, that would go to seed over time and plant themselves out for the next year. So this continues at the space that was the urban farm. The new owners are continuing this. They have dozens and dozens of things that just automatically, in gardening we call them volunteers, grow year over year over year in our space. 
And so that's what a food forest is. It's designing your landscape so that it just grows every year, no matter what you do. If you don't do anything out there except go and harvest, that's what a food forest is. And I discovered a term about a year and a half ago. I had a guy on my podcast talking about old growth food forests. And basically what that means is for me, it was 32 years at the urban farm. And having things grow fruit trees and a taller canopy of trees, we're gonna talk about that in a minute. And herbs and vegetables that just come back year over year over year. And I really encourage people to think about doing this in your front yard and your backyard. You know, put it right out in front. Which you did. And so how long does it take before you become an old food forest? Is that, that's, old is that a five year? Is that a 10 year? I would call it 10 years. Okay. You can get this stuff going within two to three. The biggest thing, and if you've listened to the show at all, the biggest thing is growing healthy soil. You've got to, got to, got to have healthy soil. And when you have healthy soil, things just magically grow. You know, I, I use some of my worm compost in some pots here. And so I pulled that worm compost out of the worm bin and wouldn't you know it, there's tomato plants growing in the <laughs> pots that I'm growing elderberries in. There's tomatoes coming up just from the worm compost bin. So that's how nature works. It just magically works. It doesn't have to be all pretty and perfect. Just let it do its thing and we like to get in the way of it. Exactly. It doesn't have to be pretty. And, and what'll happen and you have to manage this. What will happen is when things go to seed, they look like weeds. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to manage that for your neighbors. There was a permaculture guy maybe 15 years ago out in Mesa who was fighting with the city about his things that were going to seed that looked like weeds. They were lettuce and carrots and those kinds of things that the city claimed they were weeds. He claimed that they were food and he was doing battle. And I chose another route. Uh, I manage that so that when things go to seed, they don't look bad. So it does take a little bit of management, especially in the front yard. It doesn't matter in the backyard, but especially in the front yard, you want to be managing that out so that your neighbors love what you do. And if you're in an HOA, it kind of keeps them off your back as well, obviously, too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So a food forest. Now, how much time do we have here? We, we have just a minute because I really wanted to get to the layers of a food forest, but I, one minute's not going to do it justification. Through the design process, you talk about don't plant anything you can't eat or that doesn't support an edible. So it would be an example yeah. of something that you would plant that would support an edible that you don't necessarily eat. Flowers, although there are edible flowers. Planting pollinators brings in bees. It brings in all the good bugs to do your pollination for you. Ground covers, we're going to talk about that in a little while. Cover crops. One of the things that we give away every year in our fruit tree program are cowpeas. And cowpeas are a bean 
that grows pretty wild. They love the heat and they grow wild in your front and backyard and they're covering the ground. You can eat them. Things that are providing a ground cover, they're providing pollination, those kinds of things. Okay. Very good. Well, we're going to continue our conversation on how to build an edible landscape with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the house. And the outdoor living here with Farmer Greg talking about building an edible landscape. And we talked about the concept of a food forest. And you have this really cool list on the layers of a food forest. And just there's so much fun picturing building this out in your mind. This was a lot of fun. So what we're talking about is from the sky down the layers. So we're starting with the tallest layer first, going down to underground. And there's seven different layers of that. And the first layer is your top canopy. You want to be thinking about what kind of big trees you can plant in your space that will shade, that will give you leaves for mulch and really helps cool your space. In the backyard at the urban farm, we have a, well, I was there for 32 years and it was there when I arrived, an ash tree. And it was perfectly placed in the backyard. Backyard was on the west side of the property. And that ash tree was 60 feet tall, easily. And it provided afternoon shade for half of my house. It worked magically. And the other thing, while that ash tree wasn't edible, the other thing that it did was it provided bushels and bushels of leaves for our compost bins every fall. The other thing you can plant, and I really encourage you to plant, is native mesquites. Native mesquites make a bean that is edible. And if you've listened to the show at all, you know that the Urban Farm does a mesquite bean milling event every June, where we teach people how to harvest beans, make sure that you're getting the right ones, and making sure they're edible, and then we actually mill them into flour. And mesquite flour is amazing. So that's another native mesquite you can put in your backyard or your front yard that'll help shade the space. The nice thing about desert trees, the Palo Verde, the ironwood, the mesquite, is that they're not a dense shade. So a mulberry tree gives you shade, but it's a dense shade. So there's no sun that gets through. With the desert trees, some of the sun gets through. And with the desert trees, the Palo Verde and the mesquite, they're a nitrogen fixer. So they're pulling nitrogen out of the soil and out of the air and putting it in the leaves. So when the leaves drop, that's a little dose of nitrogen fertilizer for your soil. And then you can actually plant underneath the mesquite trees. And those little mesquite leaves, you don't have to worry about cleaning those up like you do all the mulberry leaves. I mean, you you have all that compost, but on on a mulberry that you might not, but all those little mesquite drops, you just let them fall. Exactly. Well, and I, I encourage you to do that with your leaves too. Put them in the basins around your trees. So that's the top canopy. Then there's the understory canopy, and that's what comes next is fruit trees. And 
I love fruit trees. I am a huge fan of fruit trees because you plant them once and they make fruit for decades. That's really cool. And, and they, you can plant those under your canopy not, trees. Not necessarily not okay. exactly under, but they're providing a shade that cools the space that allows your second canopy to grow well. And sometimes you can plant under mesquite trees. You got you kind of got to get a feel for how it, it's going to work. You need at least six to eight hours of direct sunlight on a fruit tree for it to make fruit. So it's a process. You have to sit with it. I've said this for years, and I'm, I'm learning this in spades right now. Spend at least a year on a property before you make any major changes. Well, we've been here 10 months in Asheville now, and I haven't made any major changes yet, but... If I would have done some of the stuff that I wanted to do when I, last summer, it would have been in the You'd wrong place. You've already been ripping it out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So spend time observing, and with those observations, you'll figure out where to put your fruit trees in the cooler parts of your yard. Then the shrub layer comes next. And this, and this is, is number a lot three of, of seven. Number three of seven. This is your berries, raspberries, mulberries, the mulberry bushes, smaller compact plants come next and then the next layer down is your herbaceous level that's your vegetables your annuals so most of the time in fact i'd say all the time the top canopy and the understory canopy and the third canopy which is the berries they're perennials and so these they live year over year Mostly the herbaceous level is your vegetables. Those are annuals and they get planted out every year. So, and you know, what vegetables do you want to grow? That's, that's where our vegetable gardens come in at. So we've gotten through the top canopy, the under canopy, the shrubs and the vegetables. You, you have this word on here, hibiscus. Herbaceous. 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 You know, I wrote that down and I know they're going to ask me what it means to define it. <laughs> We will look it up on the break, and I will come back with the definition of what it is. The herbaceous level of the seven layers. So we've got a couple more to wrap up. and But all of that said, we haven't even made it through our talking points for segment one, and we're going to be starting segment three when we get back. So got a lot of great stuff to continue here with Farmer Greg on building an edible landscape. Continuing our way through building an edible landscape here with Farmer Greg in the Outdoor Living Hour. And we're going through the seven layers of a food forest. And we've got a definition before we get to our last two layers here. I actually am shaming myself a little bit on this one because I have a degree in botany from Arizona State University from about 15 years ago. I should have known this. Herbaceous plants are plants with flexible green stems with few or no woody parts. Basil zucchini, kale, you know, our vegetables and herbs, basically. And so that was that's one of the seven layers of a food force. Next, we go to? Ground covers. You, One of the things that I learned years and years ago is you never want to leave bare ground in your garden. You can be growing cowpeas as a ground cover. You can be growing clovers. There's so many ground covers that you can grow. And what they do is they shade the ground, they act as a top mulch. They really 
keep your soil in good shape. And one of the things that I learned 2017, I know it took me a long time to get this lesson, is that when you have a ground cover in the summer on your on your garden, the soil temperatures are dramatically less. So in August of 2017, I took one of those temperature pointer things that you point at the ground, and it was 145 degrees at ground level in the dirt in my garden. Underneath the cowpeas and sweet potatoes, it was 89 degrees. That is the difference between your garden thriving and your garden dying. So it's really hard on your soil when you leave it bare. So don't leave your soil bare. No bare soil. No bare soil. That's the ground cover. That's the ground cover. And then the next one are root crops, things that grow underneath the ground. We highly suggest that you grow sweet potatoes in your yard. The sweet potato leaves are edible. They, the sweet potatoes underground are edible. Jolene Cootie is a chiropractor here in town, and she's got some land out in Paradise Valley. And I think I saw that she posted that they had 600 pounds of sweet potatoes that they harvested. <laughs> sweet potatoes do great in the desert. And the other great thing about sweet potatoes is a root crop is, first of all, you can't always get them all out. So they'll come back year after year after year because some get left behind. But they're a root crop that's doing digging. It's loosening your soil. So any of the sweet potatoes that get left in the ground that don't come alive the next year, they rot in the ground and they put compost right in the soil for you. So it's helping you build healthy soil. So those are root crops and daikon radishes, carrots, these kinds of things help break up soil. And then the seventh layer are vines. And mostly what we do for edible vines here in the low desert is grapes. There's several grapes that do really well. You don't get a a marble-sized table grape. You get a pea-sized grape, but they're really sweet and they do really well in the desert. And the vining, they can crawl up trellises. I had a pergola at the urban farm that every year in the summertime, it was on the west side of my back patio and the grapevine grew up and it gave me grapes every June and it stayed green in June, July, and August. So it shaded my back patio. And shade is one of those precious commodities that we all look for. Oh, yeah. Everyone's fighting for this, the two square inches of shade at the back for the mesquite that was planted, replaced last year. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So those are the seven layers of a food forest. Your top canopy, the understory canopy, the shrub layer, the herbaceous or vegetable layer, the ground cover layer, root crops, things growing in the ground, and then your vines. And there's another distinction that I want to make here, and this is annuals versus perennials. Annuals you plant every year, and when you let things go to seed, like carrots or parsley, basil, when you let those things go to seed, they'll replant themselves every year magically for you. So while they're an annual, if you have good healthy soil underneath them and you let them go to seed, they're going to come back year after year on their own. But annuals have their entire life cycle in one season. There are biannuals, biennials that have 
two seasons. Like often what we get is carrots in the first season and carrot seeds in the second season. But mostly they live out their entire life in one season. And then there's perennials that you plant once and they just come back year after year after year, like your fruit trees. Asparagus is a great perennial to plant in your yard. And asparagus does best in years six and seven. Jim Baker from Baker Nursery taught me all about asparagus maybe 25 years ago. And when you're planting asparagus, you want to dig a trench maybe a foot, foot and a half deep, and you put the asparagus roots in there, leave the trench open, but just put two or three inches of compost on top of them. And then when they come up, you put two or three more inches of compost on top of them, and then they'll come up past the compost. And you do that until you get them up to ground level. And you don't harvest them the first year. You let the asparagus the first year, it'll go to, you've seen asparagus fern before, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what asparagus looks like when it flowers. So you let it the asparagus flower out the first year because what it's doing is it's collecting the sun and all the nutrients from the sun and the soil and building out the root system. And that's why they say usually by year seven or eight, your asparagus is really going well. So it just comes back year after year, which is cool. Most things that take that long to develop, you usually taste pretty good. So do I have to wait like another 12 years for the asparagus? Is is, is seven years still not enough for it to age properly? (laughs) Well, you can harvest it in year two, three, or four. It just hits its stride in year seven. In year seven, got it. And that's hard for me because when I had my first taste of grilled asparagus, I won't uh-huh. have any patience. I'll be chopping that thing off real quick. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? Patience is a virtue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the next thing we want to talk about in designing your food forest, your edible landscape, is zones. In permaculture, we have zones. And the zones divide your yard up into places that you visit often or not. And generally zone zero is your house. You're in your house every single day. Zone one in your yard are the places that you want to visit every day. If you've got chickens, you need to visit them every day. So zone one for the chickens for us at the urban farm was backyard left. So along the way to the chicken coop, we put things that we need to have our eyes on every day. So that I had a mango that I planted on the way to the chicken coop. And it actually is producing quite nicely. But the mangoes, need you need to keep your eye on them during the time they're ripening because there's a perfect time to harvest them. So those go in zone one. The other thing is that I had a loquat. Have you ever had a loquat, Romy? I have. I'm not... Well, I mean, just the, the fruit, I've never planted a loquat tree. Yeah, loquats are really cool. They're kind of tropical. The thing about loquats is, is that they ripen in four hours. Wow. If you miss that ripening window, they're done. You missed it. So my loquat got planted to the left of my driveway at the urban farm so that when I pulled into the driveway... I had my eyes on them, zone one. 
So zone ones are places that you want to go every day. Zone two, maybe you want to visit it every two or three or five days. Zone three, less often. Zone four, less often. Zone five is your wild area. I On a third of an acre, it's kind of hard to have a <laughs> wild area. Here on four acres in North Carolina, I have a lot of zone five. There's deer out there. Half the property zone five. (laughs) Right. So just in permaculture, we teach this in our permaculture design course. Through Urban Farm, we do a permaculture, 72-hour permaculture design course every spring, every February, March, and April. And we teach zones. Zones are really important to figure out how to create your yard so that you put the loquat where you're going to have your eyes on it and you put your apple tree maybe in zone three a little farther out because it doesn't need as much attention. So zones are really important when you're designing your edible landscape. And that would be a really hard thing to really determine when you're starting the design process. Mm -hmm. You could see the zones changing as your landscape matures and you're learning things and you fight, figure out what does need more maintenance and what requires less maintenance. So don't, if you're doing that, I would assume you don't think of it as, a, as this is the final zone. The zone's book exactly. moves like your plants. It lives. <laughs> right. You know, one of my heroes is Steve Jobs. I love what he did with Apple and I love his worldview. And one of his famous quotes for me is, it's about the journey, not the destination. And I'm sure somebody else said it along the way. <laughs> After 32 years of designing my space at the urban farm, I was still in design mode, tweaking things, making things happen. It's about the journey. You don't wave a magic wand with an edible landscape and it's like, okay, it's all done. Now, you can get it to the place like I did at the urban farm. You can get it to the place where it just self-produces. But I was still, after 32 years, making tweaks along the way. And that's one of the, I think, part of what makes it and keeps it interesting is that you can constantly tweak it. You can change it. You don't ever have to get into this complete redundant mode. You can try a different type of vegetable this year, try a different type of that, plant a different exactly. tree when this one dies. You can, you have that opportunity to experiment and play with it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the whole point of a permaculture garden is to get your garden so that it just self-manages. And then what there is for us to do is just kind of stand back and say, you know what, I'd like to tweak this a little bit, or I'd like to do this a little bit differently, or I'd like to harvest this water and put in a rainwater harvesting setup. Once our edible landscape is set up, it becomes more of a, dare I say, hands-off management for the edibles, and then you just tweak things. I like that. I like it a lot. All right, we've got one final segment with Farmer Greg coming up. Hang tight. It's Rosie on the house. All right, Farmer Greg, how are we going to take this all home? So let's make it easy. So one thing I want to bring up here is designing an entire yard for edible is a multi-year project. 
And I remember this young lady that was on a tour that I was giving at the urban farm maybe 10 years ago. And she was in the backyard. We'd When we were at the urban farm, we'd do a tour of the front yard and then we'd move to the backyard and tour the backyard. And she stuck up her hand and she had a glazed look on her face. And she said, oh my gosh, where do I start? Because what I was doing at the urban farm was an old growth food forest and I was showing people what was possible. So number one, don't eat the whole elephant all at once. Pick one or two things to do, get them done, and then pick one or two more things. So you're not jumping in whole hog. Often what happens is if you start a project and it's not successful, you get discouraged, you get overwhelmed, you stop doing it. And that's the last thing we want you to do. We want you to start easy. And really the easiest thing to do is container gardening. Mm. I've told people this for years, that, that the most expensive thing to buy in the grocery store and e the easiest thing to grow are herbs. Now look how much you pay for basil or thyme or oregano or cilantro in the grocery store. It's like $8 for two ounces or four ounces and it's just crazy. And they grow like weeds. So one of the things you can start is containers, either in, either a container inside your house on a sunny windowsill or on your patio. When Heidi and I were at the urban farm, every spring we planted out all kinds of things in pots, dozens of pots on the front porch. And we grew lettuce and herbs and kale and spinach and all those kinds of things in the pots. And when you're growing in the pots, you don't have as much problem with weeds. And those herbs can weeds. also work as natural deterrents to some insects and bugs as well. Exactly. And things like basil and thyme and oregano, when they flower, they bring in the bees so amazingly well it's just it's an entire beehive around the oregano in the urban in the front yard of the urban farm it's amazing to see so start with container gardens and start with herbs would, herbs would be and step one and simple start simple start simple don't overwhelm yourself and the next thing to be thinking about is planting fruit trees fruit trees are the coolest thing because you plant them once and you get food for decades. I planted my first fruit tree in Phoenix in 1975. I was 15 years old and we had just moved into the Weldon house and my parents said, what do you want to do in the backyard, Greg? And it's like, let's plant an apple, a peach and a plum. Hmm. So we planted an apple, a peach and a plum. And by 1978, I actually had a friend of mine, he was one of my buddies back then, and I said to him, I need to know how to can because I'm getting so many peaches, I don't know what to do with them all. <laughs> and he said, my mom can help you. So I learned how to can. I don't even know her name. It's always Tim's mom. Tim's I mom. learned how to can peaches from Tim's mom. <laughs> And there's nothing so, like canned peaches to pull, pull uh, them out on a hot summer day. That's an yeah, exactly. afternoon snack and a 10-minute nap under the shade tree every day. And the possibility <laughs> right? of pies, pies, and more pies. Mm. Well, and apples, dehydrating. That's the other thing that I do. I bought a huge dehydrator, and I dehydrate my apples. And I just ate the last of my Phoenix dehydrated apples about two weeks ago. 
that I had brought with me. And a lot of those, we won't go into all the varieties today because we've got lots of podcasts and Farmer Greg has a lot of information on making sure you've got the right fruit tree that'll produce in the desert climate regions. Farmer Greg, we appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. We look forward to talking to you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.